Women in tech, we got our microphones working. Guys, we finally figured out how to use um, our mics. But also I think it helps that I got a new mic that actually has settings, so. The audio quality we know is not always ideal on this podcast. I would like to give a shout out to mp3louder.com, which allowed me to boost the decibels of Lexi's last audio track by five decibels. So bad. It was like, I like played your track and you cannot hear you at all. I initially was like, it didn't record anything for her. And then once in a while I hear like, I think that's her talking. Oh my God. Yeah, so shout out to mp3louder.com. You guys are the MVPs. You really got me through. Honestly. I ho- And I hope that, like, this really is the turning point for quality, like, <laughs> in terms of this podcast. Because we know, we know. We know that there have been some weeks that have been a little bit of a struggle. So, honestly, if you have stuck through this extremely goofy couple of months. Oh, my God. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Aw, thank you. We love you. You know, we're just trying our best. This isn't our full-time job. This is just our passion. <laughs> so This is a passion project for us. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I know that we've probably said this, like, maybe on the first episode, but I always want to do a project with you anyway, and, like, our fashion blogs never panned out, so. Honestly, we should have known that we were not mentally stable from that get, from the get. Something was not clicking back whenever we were teenagers. No, it wasn't. Like, it was this very weird period of time where we were really trying to find ourselves, and, like, the easiest way that we thought that we could find ourselves was through four failed fashion blogs. (laughs) Four? (laughs) (laughs) Literally four. Oh, my Um, God. But also, at the same time, like, I'm glad that we knew from the get that we had always wanted to work together, and I'm glad that, like, we did go through the... Our, like, middle school, high school years trying to figure that out. And I'm glad that we were able to kind of figure it out together. Yeah, it's nice. I love our friendship. I love our friendship so much. And I just hope that everyone kind of gets to see or gets to have that friendship where, (laughs) like, because I know, like, having friends at that age, like, 13, 14, is, like, you'd... Everyone like when you're that age is like we're gonna be friends forever but like to actually be friends for that period of time unbeatable and I'm so happy that we're so fortunate to be able to have that yeah that's so true I feel so lucky to have you in my life my heart just feels warm whenever I think about you and whenever I get your little slack messages every day (laughs) me too I gotta share the love gotta share the love gotta share the love um, and I'll love you forever. I was oh. trying to, I was trying to put, tr- think of the song. I can't think of the song. <laughs> wow. Uh, I love you too. I and you. speaking of teenage girls. Do you like that little segue that I put in? <laughs> I love it. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about turning red. It took me a while to actually sit down and watch the film, which is why when you guys listen to this, it's going to be like probably a month and a half um, after the movie came out. But I finally watched it this week and I am now understanding why people are so reactionary towards it. 
Oh my gosh. Wait. Okay. I always dread asking this to start us off. Did you like it? And I know you hate asking this question because this always leads us to a 30 minute episode of us being like, yeah, yeah, we like it, but with no other context and just us repeating, we like it into the microphone. That's why we never post these episodes. (laughs) A fun fact is that we've tried to record episodes on Luca, Raya and Encanto, and they all just kind of sucked. So <laughs> They have never been released. Perhaps we'll release them, but not anytime soon. I don't even, like, I've lost the audio files for Raya because I've tried to, like, pull that one out as, like, a burner episode a couple of times, like, whenever you had COVID, and I don't know where it is, so. R.I.P. Yeah. But I went into this film knowing that we were actually going to have a legitimate conversation about it, and okay. I also think because of the themes and throughout like just the entire combination of things in the film like I can actively say that I like it I will never watch it I not never I'm not going to watch it again anytime soon but it was entertaining and also one of the truest like like it was very much slice of life with the addition of fantasy okay and I love that I love that you described it that way um because this is like the exact genre of anime that I like to watch yeah (laughs) where it's like it's like mostly slice of life they're like going to school with their friends but Mm -hmm. they also have some weird little magical power thing yeah I'm I'm immediately just thinking of fruits basket right now yes it did have a big fruits basket vibe huge fruits basket vibe um I actually did not make that connection until you mentioned you connected it to the anime that you watched it felt so anime-esque to me it did definitely inspired by that form of animation because like just the facial expressions at different points in the movie the the Toronto skyline looked so much like how they would do the skyline in Sailor Moon Mm -hmm. and honestly I have to say that like it was beautiful. Like there were times when we saw Mei Mei as the red panda and I was like, holy shit, this is animated beautifully. Mm-hmm. But unlike the last couple of films that Disney and Pixar have come out with, my focus wasn't on the animation. It was genuinely on like the story it was telling. And it, it was absolutely beautiful, the animation, but like, the fact that I was more interested in like just seeing what a day to day, what their, what Maymay's life was like, yeah, was kind of very comforting. So it's so I didn't even think about that. This is why it's so good that we talk. <laughs> One of a million reasons. <laughs> it's a good. It's a good thing that like we discuss sometimes. It's a good thing that we talk to each other. Um, because I didn't realize that until right now. I think the past few Pixar films, I really was like. The animation is beautiful, like the photorealism of how they animate water. Mm -hmm. Luca was absolutely stunning visually. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking of. Like Luca was a gorgeous film visually, but I did not connect to the story. No. So I, I feel like I have to like compliment Pixar's animation quality a lot of the time in their films. Right. Because it is beautiful. Yeah, of course. But it's almost like I'm saying that because I don't really like the story. Yes. Because what else is like right. we've done we've had that conversation, specifically when we were trying to film Luca, where 
it was like the film was beautiful. It was gorgeous. But that was the only thing that we could say about it. Yeah, it's like my one positive thing I could say yeah. about Luca. Yeah. Um, but with this film, I really connected to the story, and I really was paying more attention to that than the actual animation itself. Yeah, and I think that's why I just like truly did enjoy the movie um, a lot more than I have the last couple of like Pixar releases that we've watched. To answer your question, did I like it? Absolutely. Love it. Good. And I know you did too. I really liked it. Ash sent me a photo of herself immediately after her watching it, and she was in tears. <laughs> I sobbed for, like, the last 15 minutes of this movie. Did and you really? Yeah. Like, the scene whenever they're, like, in the in-between, and they're, like, all cleaving off from their panda selves. Yeah. Woof. Um, that was, beautiful. like... It was beautiful, and it was so emotional. Yeah. I was just sitting there crying. And I was trying to, like, keep it quiet because I, like, honestly didn't want Seth to notice because, like, I, I'm such a loud crier. I'm, like, wailing all the time. <laughs> so I was, like, trying to just quietly cry. And I kept kind of making whimpering sounds. And he'd, like, look over at me and I just have tears streaming down my face. <laughs> Literally rivers. Yeah. What part of the D-Panda station phase I guess, made you really cry. And I'm only asking this because I have a follow-up question and it's kind of linked to, like, what I guess was the most interest, like, the most, like, bang-to-the-heart theme that I got out of this film. So I would say two things in the in-between. I don't know what to call it, but, like, the in-between where they were losing panda selves. Mm -hmm. Um, Two things really struck me there. The first um, was whenever May tries to go through like the mirror and separate Mm -hmm. herself from her panda self and you can see in that moment how incredibly painful it is for her to lose that part of herself um Mm -hmm. and she's like struggling against it because she wants to stay true to herself and stay authentic and stay whole despite like the messiness that that part of her brings and so Mm -hmm. that was like the first thing that like really was like very emotional for me so basically that set it off I'm crying but then Mm -hmm. what made me cry even harder was whenever the whole family is in like that place and Mm -hmm. she sees her mom as a young girl crying I loved the scene with her and her mom's younger self yes Um, because I think that and correct me if I'm wrong in what you got out of that but like what I got out of that was like really just seeing May breaking the cycle of generational Mm -hmm. trauma and helping her mom heal her younger self. Yeah. And showing her mom that staying true true to your authentic self also means accepting some of the messiness that comes with it. Yes. Doesn't necessarily make you a bad person. And just because they're like other people will think negatively of some of these traits doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. Right. So the first scene in the in-between when um, May is trying to go through and you see that um, the pain in her, Mm -hmm. like crying. The way I feel about the theming of turning red is the same way that I feel about Moana. It's it's similar in that there's, like, women healing women, and mm-hmm. then there's also kind of, like, 
you have different parts of yourself and some parts are pleasant and easy and acceptable Mm -hmm. and then other parts are Mm -hmm. scary angry and like people demonize it but it's like all still you yeah and you shouldn't and just because that there you do have some of these aspects doesn't mean that you should turn your back on them because at the end of the day it's still part of you right yeah that was the part of the film that I absolutely loved it was such an easy theme to pick up on. So I really have to commend Turning Red because I think that it's a beautiful film for someone in, like, May's age. Oh, yeah. Like, you're 13, 13, yeah. 14, 15, trying to figure out what you what it is and, like, what life is and who you want to be. And that's, like, the age whenever you start to internalize. You start to become aware of society's perception of you and you realize yeah. that, like, there are ways that I should act and ways that I should appear. And I have to kind of like suppress other things that aren't acceptable. Yeah. When like all of those sentiments are fake. Yep. All of those rules are made up. And like there was just something so pure about seeing May and her friends being unbashfully themselves. I, I absolutely loved her friends and I loved the fact that like throughout the movie whenever May is her authentic self her whole self even coming Mm -hmm. out as like this red panda self whenever she does that people actually love it they accept her they praise her they want to be around her and Mm -hmm. I think that that's such a good message because like maybe there's like some initial fear and embarrassment but they're like throughout the movie you see that people actually like really like whenever she's her full self yeah, it's just such a great message. Um, and it was so easily, I, I, like, it was easy to digest that message as well. And the visual cues and, like, the personality cues of everyone around her as she's, like, transforming slowly into the May at the end of the sh- movie. I just, like, I think when I was watching it, like, I had a fleeting thought of, like, I wish this film was made when we were 13, 14, 15, mm-hmm. when we were growing up and trying to figure out what that meant for ourselves. Um, I wish so, too, because um, I think Encanto showed people trauma <laughs> that mm-hmm. they weren't necessarily aware that they had. Yeah. And it presented it in, like, a very digestible way for them through, like, some fun songs and, like, good imagery. Mm-hmm. I think this film resonated with me in a different way where, like, I've always been a very emotional person. Like, Mm -hmm. I think I experienced things as, like, very high highs and very low lows. Um, And whenever I was younger, I really wanted to be less emotional because it was painful all the time. And I was told that it wasn't appropriate to be like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't until I got older that I realized that, like, I, I wouldn't change that part of myself. I actually really like and treasure that part of myself because I don't think I could fully feel, like, the happiness that I feel without also feeling the sadness, too. Yeah. And I wish that, like, I could have seen this film whenever I was younger and I still wasn't there yet because I think it would have helped me kind of get there faster to that place of Mm self-acceptance. Yeah, I I agree. I was kind of just thinking back on, like, high school, me trying to fit in so hard 
Mm-hmm. And, like, you see it with May, too, where she's like, I'm myself, and I don't care about what anyone thinks. I have my friends. Um, and, like, I know that feeling because I had that feeling. Um, but also the feeling of coming home and being like, what's so great about being normal? Yeah. And um, the part where, like, you physically see May changing, or not physically, but, like, you see everyone around her change when she is a little bit more true to herself. It just reminds me of, like, how growing up I had one best friend who saw me, like, in person, um, one best friend who saw me, like, as I truly was, and then not fully leaning into who I actually was until I was way out of high school. Mm -hmm. And I wish that I had something this empowering growing up because I feel like I wouldn't have waited until I was 18 to fully accept and, like, be the person that I was. Even now, I think that, like, that theme still kind of resonates in that, like, you should never really be afraid or turn your back on the bad sides to yourself, which I wholeheartedly agree. As everyone knows, because we've talked about it, me and Ash have both been to, well, I have been to therapy. We've been to therapy. I didn't want. I didn't want to fucking throw you under the bus, but it's my all right. Fault. We go. We all listen. I think everybody should go to therapy. I agree. At some point in your life, you should go to therapy, and you should process stuff that you've been through. Self examination and self analysis can only go so far. So true. Um, I really do think you need a sherpa through yeah. your subconscious because, like, like, there's a lot going on up in there. There is a lot, and like a lot of people are not. People don't like experiencing ego death. Mm-hmm. I fucking love experiencing ego death. I love inner child work and shadow work. Like, I I honestly love it. Like, I leave therapy. I cry all night. But, like, it's good. It's, it's good. It's so good. And it releases so much. And it allows you to, like, really self-examine and, like, Give yourself a self, like an analysis that's outside of your own head. And even if it is in your own head, then like the way that I see it, it kind of helps you work on the points that like you might be freaking out over. And when I was talking to my therapist about this, um, the messy parts, I was like, I give myself the most negative personality traits because everyone around me can call out all of the good things, which is great. And that's fine. But you also, I also have to kind of sit, step back and remember that, like, I'm not everything that these people say, and I know that there is a different side of me. And I had tried to squish it down for as long as possible, and it wasn't until therapy, when I was in my mid-20s, where I was like, no, like, I shouldn't turn my back to this part of me shit happened I know that there are parts of me that are messy but also at the end of the day like it is a disservice to myself yep to completely ignore that and I think and like not I think like that is truly May's journey throughout the entire film yeah it really is um much like the both of us may was willing to put in the work to understand herself even the parts of herself that others told her were too messy to have on display 
Yeah. And in doing that, she was able to really embrace herself in a way that no one else in her family had so far. And was so happy to accept that this is a part of who she is. Yeah. Um, and I just love that. Yeah. I love it so much. And like, I know we talked about this like literally 10 minutes ago, but like the scene with her mom where her, her mom's younger self is crying in that like forest area. I thought that was such good imagery because you forget that it's like, you're still that same little kid that you were, you're just taller and in a bigger body and you have more responsibilities now. But like the things that you felt back then were still you and the things that you went through were still you. And if you don't take care of that part of you, then that stuff manifests later. And I'm just, I don't know. I just liked seeing a, a portrayal of that. I think it was also really neat that you see it not just in the scene where um, May and her mom are in the forest, um, but you see an inkling of that like in the midway through the film when um, May's grandma calls and May's mom like hides in the couch cushions. Yeah, and like it goes back to your point. It goes. It just goes to show that at the end of the day you're still you mm-hmm. and just because you're in a grown-up body doesn't mean that you have completely grown out of those aspects and I don't know it was just so beautiful it was like truly a great film um, yeah and I am really glad that there is finally, not finally, but that there is that type of representation um, in a film that is targeted for people in that age. Yes, absolutely. And the other thing is, I saw like, I don't know if you saw this back whenever it happened, but there was an article that like some loser put out that was like, I can't relate to this movie at all. Like, I don't know who could relate to this messaging. It's, like, so specific, and, like, Pixar is, like, ruining their legacy by making these super specific films. Um, Some man, of course. Some white man, I'm sure. Yeah, because I didn't think that it was specific at all. That's what I was about to say. Like, I think that the moral of this story is so incredibly applicable. Like, I feel like every single person who exists in society has had this message thrown at them where it's, like, you need to hide parts of yourself and, like, present the most attractive part of yourself. But, like, what, what does that best version mean? And, like, what, what, what are the parameters for being the best version? Someone right. who's picture perfect and, like, society, like, perfect for society seems stupid to me. It's stupid. And you're doing a disservice to the rest of you, you know? Yeah. And whenever May's authentic, people love her. Exactly. And that is, like, best takeaway that I've gotten from this film some other really good points about it was that at least for me watching it like I loved how May's heritage and culture came through without it being a film about her heritage and culture exactly in a like very super specific way um there's so many there's a ton of discourse on POC in films and how the film always has to be about them being a POC. Right. Instead of them being a person living their life. And what I really love about this film is that you get to see a person of color just being a person and not right. being a person of color. Where 
Mays heritage and uh, Chinese background comes through. Yeah, definitely. It was not a cheaper by the dozen remake vibe where the plot was all about her being Chinese. Exactly. And I haven't seen cheaper the dozen remake. I'm not going to. I'm halfway through Bleach. I can't commit to anything else. Cannot, cannot. You've cannot. already made a commitment to Bleach. Exactly. So, but yeah, like I think that too was like beautiful, and I loved how I don't know. It was just like overall, I really didn't didn't have anything bad to say about it. I agree. I want to hit on a couple of things that people are ranting about online because people love to be upset about things. Yeah. Let me. So. Let me. I'll fight them. Yeah, exactly. I'm ready to fight them. Yeah. I've seen people be, like, really upset because they say that May is disrespecting her parents. First of all, I'd like to point out that I think people don't realize that children are actually not property and are not, like, a weird pet that you can train and have expected behavior come about from your actions Um, children are just small adults who have their own likes and dislikes and beliefs and feelings and desires. That, oh God, and I can go on about that forever. Because, like, the family culture of, like, I brought you into this world and, like, I have you, you owe everything to me, like, whatever. Please, for the love of God, do not have children. If you believe that I am stuck on the, like not stuck, but like I fully back the idea that like one of the reasons like you shouldn't, you really have to like take a look at like what it means to be a parent. Do you want to bring a child into this world because you want to have a mini you and someone that you can boss around? Like that is no way to bring up some, a life into Mm-mm. this world. Mm-mm. Like so many people don't think that, children should have and not even children may is 13 yeah like i'm sorry but where was all of that anger when ariel was like bye daddy i'm gonna go live like i'm gonna go turn into a human forever lexi it's giving racism it's giving racism like bro (laughs) i'm getting racist vibes because like ariel 100% what you just said. Like, she was like, I'm going to follow my own path. Yeah. You can suck it, Dad. See ya. Bye. Um, Jasmine was like, I'm sneaking out of this castle to go woo a peasant boy and, like, telling everybody she's not a prize to be won. Merida is shooting for her own hand and, like, embarrassing her parents. Merida was also pretty young. Merida was, like, 16. They're all teenagers. We're all teenagers. They're all teenagers. Like, this is what Disney does. Like, they reinforce this narrative that, like, women are their own people, kids are their own people, they follow their own path, they have autonomy over their bodies and their minds and their hearts. And that's a message we should be telling girls. Right. Fight for yourself. Yes. Follow your fucking... Be you. Be the person that you want to be. So the fact that there was all of this backlash on May disrespecting her mom when so many people would be doing the same shit that May does without all of that backlash. Yeah. She's a teenage girl finding herself. Like... What was disrespectful... Like, truly, what was disrespectful about May? Um, Probably that she, like, snuck out and went to a concert. 
I'm not going to say any comments on that. I don't need to fucking <laughs> yeah. box myself. We're, we're going to keep some stories off the podcast. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're not going to. Anyway. But I like low-key think that people are like, this is an Asian girl and they want to see her as like this respectful, obedient child. And yeah. they're like up in arms about it. And it's like, check yourself. Truly. Look and in like, the mirror. <laughs> Are people just not truly watching the films that they, like, consume? Because they're not. Maybe, like, because perhaps, right, like, there's the argument that, like, well, you've just never seen such blatant, quote, disrespect. You just haven't seen blatant disrespect of a parent's wish, right? Like, that could be an argument. But then it's, like, you need to have a pretty basic sense of like criticism and like just baseline of consuming things where it's really it's not any more blatant than Ariel quite literally saying but daddy I love him (laughs) and then straight up dipping like yep please 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 I just feel like people need to evaluate where some of these feelings are coming from. And do, do some work. Do some work. Yeah. Maybe go to therapy and think about it. Yeah. Process it. <laughs> Deconstruct. I feel like people's reactions to May being, quote, disrespectful is, like, is very much a microaggression. No, it, like, I 100% think so. It's very, it's very much microaggression. And, like, I'm not going to, I know that it is because I've had to do that inner work myself where it's, like, there are all of these generalizations that aren't necessarily true and it's just something that is so focused on. So, and like society thinks that one culture or one um, group of people think X, Y, Z, but like it's a universally shared experience and that generalization of how May should have reacted to her mom is so harmful to the overall AAPI community. Yeah. Again, it goes back to my point of, like, they didn't make it a film about a POC... Yeah, about a POC character being a POC. It was, like, it is a person who just so happens to be POC. Yeah, totally. And he is having the same shared experience. And people are just so shocked over it because she just happens to be Asian. Yep. So the other thing people are upset about is that this is like all about puberty. But I don't think it is. See, I feel the same way. I think it's like a coming of age story. Like, yeah, like it truly is this like coming of age slice of life. It like also and even if it was like there are a lot of allegories to puberty and like growing up, etc. But like, why shouldn't that be in a film? Like it's something that happens to all of us. I know. We don't see enough films of people like May and her friend group, and I feel like we don't see enough of those films. So, like, for us to actually have some sort of a representation of that, of just people being nerdy and, like, fangirly, like, I, <laughs> it was just, it was so great seeing, I guess, myself in this film. Myself and all of my friends. This is something I wanted to ask you on this episode. What was the cringiest thing you did as a teenager? Because I felt like this film just captured being a teenage girl so well. Oh, no. Like, a thousand... Remember the time... Remember when I was in my K-pop era? Lexi, the K-pop era was... We both had a K-pop era. We both had a K-pop era. And my K-pop era 
took a while from, and I'm not ashamed about my K-pop era. No. But I do have to say that I, I went pretty hard for, in my K-pop era. Do you remember Shiny? <laughs> do you remember Lucifer. how I, Lucifer, Lucifer? Shiny. Okay, first of all, I still blast that song. It is a banger forever. <laughs> I love it so much. But do you remember how, like, it was our senior year, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm, I want to see Super Junior. Oh, my God, and Super Junior. I forgot Super about Junior. Super Junior. And then I made my father take me and my little, me and my little sister made our father take, fly us to the, this is going to make me sound so fucking bratty. There's a ton of his back history to this. I'm not going to get into it, but we did make our father take us to the Philippines so that we could see Super Junior in Manila for Super Show 3. That is hilarious. And, like, that, like unfortunately, that's not even the cringiest thing. Um, because I was, like, proud. I was so proud to be a K-pop, like, it, to be in my K-pop era. I think the cringiest thing, well, first of all, uh, May getting thrown under the bus by liking Devin and, like, yeah. writing it in her journal and everything. That happened to me in third grade. And oh, my God, I forgot about that whole scene with the merman. <laughs> with the fucking, I've com- blocked that portion out. But I was oh, like, just like, can I hit pause for a second? I have to tell yeah. you this. This is so freaking bizarre. But like whenever she drew that, I had a visceral um, memory pop back into my brain um, uncovered. I had buried this thing. But whenever I was going through puberty, I had all kinds of sexual dreams about mermaids. <laughs> and I just need to know, like, is this a common experience <laughs> for teenage girls? <laughs> Well, okay. See, my thing, though, is not with mermaids, but, like, it is a kind of a common thing because you have furries, right? Oh, my God. Am I a furry? A fishy. I'm a fishy. <laughs> <laughs> this is my sexual awakening. <laughs> Reliving that experience. Oh, my God. Who knew? Text immediately. Guess I'm a fishy. I'm a fishy. <laughs> to listen to the podcast to find out. <laughs> oh, God. Not merman, not mermaids, but you know, Kovu. 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 You you will always wear hot for Kovu. I would die for Kovu. Yeah, and Nick Wilde, <laughs> but that's like a later thing. Yeah, like that. But her journal getting blasted to the general public happened to me in third grade. Also, still not the cringiest thing. But I did feel, like, that visceral, like, holy shit, this fucking sucks, and I hate that because I've lived through it, and it's fucking embarrassing. That's too young to have an embarrassing memory like that. No, I know. It was so bad. And it's so it was either in third or fourth grade, but it was really shitty because it was someone that I, it was someone that I considered a friend, and I, I invited them to my house, and I showed them my journal, and they took the journal and, like, photocopied, like, without me knowing, photocopied it put it in everyone's is like class mailbox and then left me the journal in my mailbox. That is the most evil thing I have ever heard. I for Who I tried do that. How shitty is that? Like what how possesses you? That is an evil child. Terrible. And like I brought this up during therapy one session and she was like, "Oh my god." 
Like, my therapist was like, you've experienced betrayal from someone that you considered close to you your entire life. There was a lot of other backstory to this. And I was like, yeah, I really have. Because how do you come from that? Anyway, I digress. So that happened. Not cringy. It was just really embarrassing and, like, life lessening. But I think the cringiest thing was when I was in seventh grade, we had to do projects in French class on, like, the human body. And in seventh grade, I was just starting to, like, truly figure out who I was, like, very much like May is in this film. And we had to do this uh, project where we, like, printed out photos and, like, made lines to what things were called in French. And I printed out a seven-page pamphlet of Avenged Sevenfold's guitarist, Sinister Gates, Half of them, he was naked, like, topless. (laughs) And full color, it was on, like, thick printer paper, like, good, glossy printer paper. And then I presented that to my class, and I was like, I love this man. And then I I kept this pamphlet in my French binder. It was, like, the front page cover. Yeah. I think that had to have been the cringiest thing. That is hilarious. What is so funny, too, is, like, May in this film is so confident with herself. Yeah. Like she's just out there, and she's, like, proud of what she's putting out. And I, there's something weird about that period of time in your life where, like, you really are just, like, you're into yourself. Like, you will yeah. authentically stand in front of a class and be like, I'm in love with this half-naked man. Yes. Suck it. Like, if you don't like it, there's the door. There Avert it is. Your eyes. This is my man. This <laughs> He's is on my, my binder man. now. Yeah, and this is the music that I like listening to. What about you? What is your cringiest thing? In seventh seventh or eighth grade, I was writing like 50 plus chapters Sailor Moon fan fiction. Um, I was obsessed with it. I would write new chapters during my study hall in middle school. And I was also trying to learn Japanese because I wanted to move to Japan. Um, And I would bring my Japanese books to school and like pretend that I like knew how to speak it effectively whenever I really was just, like, um, you know, using phrases from anime. Yep. Yeah. That actually reminds me of what my cringiest thing is, because I feel like, <laughs> that, like, that, like n- now at 28, I'm like, oh, that's normal. Like, you didn't have that experience? People didn't have I know, that right? Like, I think that's pretty normal. I don't think that's cringy. So when I... I was writing self-insert David Cook American Idol fan fiction, too. That I do remember. <laughs> that I do remember. <laughs> Listen, I had a whole American Idol phase too. Like the I, girls who get it get it. Like the ones who knew me then, they know. That the David Archuleta phase specifically. And it's funny because I had just sent Ash yesterday <laughs> that I was listening to Crash by David Archuleta. Oh my gosh. Um full circle. Yeah. Still a banger. Um but I think the cringiest thing was in, like, middle school and, like, early high school, I used to – I didn't. I never wrote fan fiction, but I was always reading it. Like, fanfiction.net was my shit, obviously. And I had found this one art, uh, writer, this one author, and she wrote um, Inuyasha fic, and I had floppy disks saved – of my favorite, like, R-rated Inuyasha fanfics because I was self-inserting myself. And... Of course. 
obviously. I completely just outed myself as a low-key furry. But Inuyasha is my baby. I think everybody's a little bit hot for Inuyasha, though. Like, you can't can't not be. He's so cute. I know. I know. Sashomaru, like, let's go. I do have to say, though, that, like, I don't think... And looking back on it, like, that's not even that cringy because I think at that age, like, we didn't want to be cringy. Yeah. So everything that, like, we did was, like, cringy-ish, kind of, but, like, not really that cringy when we were, like, 13, 14, 15 because I think wholeheartedly I've just even gotten more cringe and more terrible, (laughs) but, like, very openly so. I feel like I've really learned to just embrace it, you know? Yeah. I remember being in high school and people kind of like making fun of me a little for like being so into Disney. And Mm -hmm. now it's just like, yeah, I love Disney. I have a bunch of Disney stuff on my walls. I have a Disney podcast. So yeah, it's whatever. And anime and like literally the same shit where it's like, yeah, I like Disney. Yeah. I like things that are technical, like that people seem that people think that like are meant for children right outside of anime. It's good for my inner child. I love to hula hoop. I like to buy games. Yeah. I like, I love playing games. I like buying small tchotchkes that I was never able to get when I was younger. Oh, that feels so good. Right? And oh my God. I think the best thing that I absolutely love is that I am, that I openly talk about my virtual crushes to everyone I know. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when, when I was on my Obey Me? Oh, Here, of course. Era? Rode hard for my seven virtual boyfriends. Has that ended? I thought we were still in that. No, I kind of stopped because Twisted Wonderland came out and then like every event storyline that Obey Me was putting out was like kind of the same thing. And I was like, this is stupid. And like the story is okay, but it was really, truly an Otome game. And I was Mm -hmm. like, "Ah, this is dumb. Um, Twisted Wonderland is very much a virtual or is a visual novel, but it really deep dives into um, the mental. And I think it definitely helps that it's Disney um, themed and everything, but like, I don't know, I just prefer it a little bit better. But yeah. Back to the cringiness. I think now I'm definitely a lot more cringy, but, like, I don't see it as cringe. I'm just, like, this is... The the, the people who get it, get it. The people who don't, don't. And This I'm is okay who we that. are. Exactly. We are accepting ourselves just like how May accepts her panda half. Yes. <laughs> and we should all accept our panda halves. We should embrace it. Take care of it. Take care of your inner child this week. What did you guys get out? Like, did you guys get the same, I guess, messaging and theming? Um, I think that the film was like very easily digestible and like it was a really fun watch. Um, I just don't think that I would watch it again anytime soon. I'm going to watch it again. That's valid. That's a valid. I don't think I can watch Encanto again, though. Like I've seen it twice and it was enough. That's a, also a valid statement because I have I, had no inkling of like wanting to watch Encanto again. The soundtrack slaps. I cried yep. throughout the entire movie, but it's sort of like done its thing for me and I'm done now. <laughs> I feel a, that way about Encanto. I also feel that way about 
turning red. Um, and the only reason why I'm saying I wouldn't watch it again, not because I'm 28 years old and I think that the film is childish, it's that I'm 28 years old, years old and I'm not going to get anything out of this film anymore. That's fair. Like, yeah. and it was so, so, so cute, but at the at the start of this episode, I think we were talking about how it was, like, very slice of life. And just some slice of life, you don't have to go back to. That's true. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thank you, guys. Um, you can catch up with us on our Twitter and on our Instagram. The links will be in our description. Um, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Take care of your inner child. Bye. Bye.